If you love Snapped, Women Who Murder, you're going to love listening to true crime or mystery titles on Audible. The audio title I'm diving into again is one of my favorites to revisit, Mindhunter by John Douglas and Mark Ulshaker. Even if you think you know the details of the cases, former FBI unit chief John Douglas took on from documentaries or the scripted show, the audio title goes above and beyond in bringing you along with him in his career, trying to catch serial killers and serial perpetrators. He used psychological profiling to dive into the minds of notorious criminals. The title includes his hunt for a killer in Alaska, the Green River Killer, and so much more. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. It is the home of storytelling after all. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. That's audible.com slash snapped or text snapped to 500-500. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Unlucky in love, a single mom poured herself into her children. Her kids always came first. Then, a kind single dad changed her mind about men. He ended up kissing me for the first time. She called me and said that she had gotten married and he was the one. But a sudden disappearance puts their second chance at true love in jeopardy. She tried to file a missing person report three times. He hasn't been at work. I've been calling family and friends. I don't know where he's at or what's going on or anything like that. What starts as a missing persons case soon morphs into a murder investigation. There was blood. Not just a little bit of blood, something happened in the van. I was freaking out. I was like, what is going on? As they dig deeper, detectives uncover the truth about a heartbreaking crime with a twisted motive. He's dying, but he's on the phone. He was actually pleading for his life. Why would you do this to my dad? Things were falling apart, and it just all starts crumbling down. Indianapolis, Indiana. It was a larger city. It's where a lot of people come to uh, to relax, read, jog, ride the bike trails, and just enjoy a calm and steady, normal life. It's a great city to live in. While Indianapolis prides itself on small-town values, it also has its share of big city problems. March 17, 2015. An Indianapolis Metro Patrol officer performs a routine check under the Raymond Street Bridge on the banks of the White River. There, the officer notices something suspicious. He found this van down by the White River. 
where there used to be a homeless camp at one time, and no one's around it. The officer runs the plate and makes a discovery about the registered owner. The person was missing. His name was Stephen Williams. And this was Stephen Williams' van. Three days earlier, on Saturday, March 14th, authorities had received a 911 call from Stephen's worried wife, Opal Williams. Okay, and you said he's been missing. He's been missing since Wednesday. Since uh, very early Wednesday morning, between midnight and 2 a.m. is last time I've seen him. And he hasn't been at work. He hasn't even called at work or anything. Now, Stephen's van has been found, and next to it, a troubling clue. There was a spot of blood also found somewhere on the ground near the van. Born in Fort Worth, Texas in 1963, Stephen Doyle Williams grew up in a humble but loving household. It was a happy childhood for the most part. Parents divorced early. My mother raised us by herself. We didn't have a lot of toys and things like that. You know, we had clothes and we had the necessities, but not a lot of extras. Stephen, he was real intelligent, you know, real book smart. At 18 years old, Stephen fell in love for the first time with a young woman named April. They married and had three kids together, Amanda, Kelly, and James. My dad, he was strict, but not that strict. He was always there for us. He made sure we had a better life than he did. That's one thing I love about my dad. He was just there for us. As part of that effort to provide a stable life, Stephen joined the Army in the mid-'80s. There, he discovered a passion that would stay with him for the rest of his life, computers. Once he learned computers, it was it. He didn't just have a computer, he had computers, you know, several of them, two or three, and they're all hooked together and you could do things that most people couldn't do. In 1995, Stephen and April decided to part ways. And then, you know, Stevie filed for divorce. They started, you know, raising the kids on his own. By 2006, Stephen had been honorably discharged from the Army and was working as a computer programmer near Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Though he loved his children, Stephen had grown increasingly lonely. He wanted someone there, and I guess he just missed being loved. That all changed one spring night when Stephen was hanging out with friends and spotted 25-year-old Opal Drebenstead from across the room at a karaoke bar. The very first time, we actually seen each other. He was singing karaoke. I had just gotten off work. I was doing deliveries at the time. Opal was born in Aurora, Illinois in 1979. Her best memories from childhood were created at 55 miles per hour. My father was a truck driver. So I've been on the road since I was three. I've been everywhere but six states. So the happiest times I had of my childhood was when I was on the road with him. When Opal was 18, she married a man named Don, and the couple eventually had two sons together, Stephen and Dakota, though the family struggled financially. Her kids always came first. If they didn't have enough food or, or funds to go around, she would do without to where her kids could eat and have clothes. 
But after two years, the marriage failed and Opal and Don divorced. When Opal met 42-year-old Stephen Williams in the Cedar Rapids karaoke bar in 2006, she was in the middle of a custody battle and in need of some fun. Stephen was more than happy to oblige. It started going out every night with the same people, sing karaoke and stuff like that, and then he ended up kissing me for the first time. And I'm like, okay, what was that for? He's like, well, how about a date? I'm like, okay. He wasn't looking for a relationship. She said she wasn't looking for a relationship. It just kind of happened. She called me and said that she had gotten married and she had met the man that made her very happy, that he was the one, and that he had two daughters. And she absolutely loved them. Steven, he's a software engineer. He ended up coming here to Indianapolis to start work here, and then the kids and I followed. Opal loved being a stay-at-home mom to her and Steven's growing brood. She taught me how to do makeup. We loved a bowl. We are a big bowl family. Sometimes we'll go to the water parks. They were a very happy couple, a very happy family. The kids got along very well. By 2014, Stephen's kids had moved out, leaving only Opal's sons in the home. With a partially empty nest, Opal was eager to pursue a lifelong dream. I've always wanted to be a truck driver. I love the road. I love to travel. I just love everything about it. It's just a sense of freedom. Opal obtained her commercial driver's license and began driving a big rig. But her life on the road put a strain on her marriage, and she and Stephen began to drift apart. We're different. I mean, me, I love traveling. He falls asleep after two hours in a vehicle. <laughs> I mean, come on, you can't get much opposite than that. Sometimes they slept in separate rooms, they had arguments. But Opal and Stephen weren't quite ready to give up on their marriage, and they weren't the only ones having problems. In August 2015, the couple got a call from a woman named Linda, the new wife of Opal's first husband, Don. Linda explained that she needed time away from her relationship with Don, but had nowhere else to go. She asked Opal and Stephen for help. She didn't have a vehicle. She was stuck there. She needed help, so they rescued her. And so Stevie, the white knight that he is, is going to step up and save Linda. Stephen and Opal told Linda she could stay with them while she figured out what to do about her marriage. Opal and Stephen learned they would have more house guests when Stephen's 20-year-old daughter, Amanda, asked to move back in, along with her boyfriend, Stephen Bryan. I called my dad. I was like, Dad, I got to tell you something. Like, what, you're pregnant? Like, uh, yeah. You want to be mad, but he couldn't get excited because it's a grandchildren. So we moved back because we needed that help. Six months later, 51-year-old Stephen and 35-year-old Opal became grandparents. Opal was smitten with the new arrival. 
when our daughter was born, she came into the hospital right away and saw our daughter was very loving. She just sat there and wanted to hold the baby. When we moved in, there's actually a lot of people there, but it was really peaceful in the beginning. So everybody got along really well. But on March 17, 2015, just over a month after Opal's granddaughter was born, everything the Williams family held dear would be turned upside down. Indianapolis police have just discovered Stephen's van abandoned near the White River with a pool of blood nearby. The officer calls for Detective Ryan Bartlett, who had been working the missing persons case opened on Stephen just three days earlier. After IMPD contacted us, uh, myself and another detective went to the river to go check the van out. Inside the van, more worrisome evidence. One thing that caught the detective in my eye was it looked like there was some type of maroon-colored uh, liquid on the seats of the van, which had a possibility of being blood. Things were getting kind of sketchy, and I maybe need help here soon. Coming up, how a worried wife started the search for her husband. He's supposed to be taking high blood pressure medication and all that here at home. Okay. And a new 911 call puts everyone on edge. We were contacted by Indianapolis Fire Department that stated someone had jumped off the bridge. In 2015, Opal and Stephen Williams had a full house in the suburbs of Indianapolis. But in March of that year, everything started to fall apart. On March 14th, Stephen disappeared. Three days later, a police officer discovered his van abandoned under a bridge near the White River. There's a pool of blood outside the van and what appears to be more inside. You get something like that, and you really don't want to just dive right into it and say, oh my gosh, someone was killed in this vehicle. You just take the evidence for what it is. So we were taking up, I say, baby steps in this investigation. We searched the area along the river, in the van. We, we searched everywhere we could just to see if maybe he was, he was around. And there was a lot of video footage taken, um, a lot of photos taken of the scene as well. Now we were out there for uh, a few hours. Following an exhaustive search of the area, detectives find no new evidence. We contacted our evidence technician and our tow trucks to come pick up the van. And it transported over to a secure location where our CSI team processes that evidence under a search warrant. While the processing of the van begins, Detective Bartlett returns to the station and reviews his file on Stephen Williams' missing persons case. It all started when Opal Williams made a 911 call to Indianapolis authorities. He hasn't been at work. He hasn't even called at work or anything. On the call, Opal worried that Stephen was without important medication. He's supposed to be taking high blood pressure medication and um, Tylenol 
phone to help him sleep and be on the BiPAP machine, and all of that is here at home. Okay. Opal explained that she'd last seen Stephen at a restaurant four days earlier, where the couple ate with her cousin, Charlie Lehman, and a family friend named Ricky King. We had a little bit of an argument, but, and, and he took off, and this is how I like him. Because normally when we have a disagreement, like the next morning, or, you know, within a few hours, we're calling each other, apologizing, and just gone, and this is how I like him. After Opal's original 911 call, and the day before the van was found, Detective Bartlett had interviewed Opal, who still had not heard from her husband. Stephen is, is missing. She hasn't seen him for a couple days. Says that uh, she has no idea where he's at. Opal states that Opal and her friend Ricky uh, drove to Oklahoma to look for Stephen. On their way to Texas, where they believed that Stephen may have went to go see a daughter. In that initial interview, Opal told Detective Bartlett that she and Ricky had been stopping at every truck stop along the way, looking for Stephen. When asked about the disagreement she mentioned in her initial 911 call, Opal explained it was about their rather complex home life. She told Detective Bartlett about her and Stephen's marital troubles and about all the people living under their roof including a woman named Linda, who had just separated from Opal's first husband, Don. Opal said that after they took Linda in, Stephen and Linda started having an affair, and Stephen suggested adding an unexpected twist to their troubled marriage. Opal said Stephen introduced the proposal to Opal that Linda would be the sister wife to their relationship. Obviously, as most would, would say, uh, infuriated uh, Opal. She did not like that at one bit. But I'm wanting to make it work. This this started my second marriage. Been together 10 years, married for nine years. I'm not ready to throw it down the drain. I'm not ready to let go yet. According to Opal, they actually tried the sister-wife arrangement for a while. But after just a few weeks, it became clear to her that it wasn't going to work. Opal would go on to say that while Stephen was at work, Linda would say things to Opal that would, would make her mad, and uh, she would antagonize her and just uh, kind of poke at her the whole day. In her first interview after the 911 call, Opal said that on the night of March 10th, she asked Stephen to meet her at a local restaurant to discuss the issue. Her friends, Charlie Lehman and Ricky King, came along to offer her emotional support. She stated that uh, they had all met at a fast food restaurant in Indianapolis to hash out this sister wife and these um, differences. Opal told Bartlett that the discussion got heated and Stephen took off. Stephen just drives away in the white van and leaves him behind. According to Opal, when Stephen didn't come home the next day, Linda decided to leave. Opal also explained that her husband had a history of depression. She insinuates that he's suicidal. He's taken some pills before in the past and has cut his wrist before. Now that Stephen's van has been recovered, 
Detective Bartlett contacts Opal again. Opal explains that she and her friend Ricky are still in Oklahoma, but haven't found any sign of Stephen. Detective Bartlett tells her about Stephen's abandoned vehicle and explains that it's unlikely Stephen is headed to Texas and that Opal needs to come back to Indianapolis. I told her immediately when she gets home that I really need to talk to her and get a statement from her. She was uh, happy that he called um, and, and happy to turn around and come back to Indianapolis. Opal promises to meet with detectives as soon as she gets back. At this point, detectives have more questions than answers. Has Stephen simply left town to blow off steam? Or did he and Linda leave together in order to start a new life? Maybe he just doesn't want to be found. Maybe he's just, uh, maybe he's upset. Maybe he decided he would just want to be missing for a few days. But what about the blood found near the van? If it turns out to be Stevens, he could be in grave danger. He could have got attacked by a mugger uh, at, the, at the bottom of that river shore. So um, there, there are other possibilities that could have occurred. One of those possibilities could be that the blood outside the van is the result of self-inflicted injury. Before detectives have the chance to track down and question Linda, they get an important call. We were contacted by Indianapolis Fire Department that stated that uh, there was a report of a person seen a few blocks north on the river that jumped over into the water. Someone had jumped off the bridge, and it could have been Stephen. Coming up, startling new evidence surfaces in an unexpected place. They could see what they thought was the top of a human head. And more bizarre family secrets are revealed. Things are falling apart in this house. As a SNAP listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case I learn about, I'm reminded how much I want to prioritize my vigilance and preparation. That's why I use and recommend Simply Safe Home Security. My cameras have alerted me about trespassers and even given me a sense of security knowing my home is safe even when I'm not there. Simply Safe offers protection for the whole house with advanced sensors that not only detect break-ins, but fires, floods, and other threats to your home and getting you the help you need for each scenario. The indoor security cameras offer privacy shutters to ensure physical privacy when you want it. Plus, you can try Simply Safe for 60 days risk-free. If you don't love it, return your system for a full refund. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/snapped. That's simplysafe.com/snapped. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. After Stephen Williams goes missing, 
Indianapolis police discover his van parked under a bridge with a pool of blood outside and possibly more inside. The evidence suggests Stephen may have been the victim of a violent crime. But now, detectives are faced with another possibility, that the 52-year-old Army veteran and computer programmer took his own life. Law enforcement was aware of a dispatch of a person uh, or a jumper being seen jumping off a bridge. I met with Indiana Conservation Officers and the Indianapolis Fire Department and told them that we were missing a person from Johnson County whose van was found by the river, and that if a person had jumped over the uh, into the water, that it could have been Stephen. Maybe Stephen had climbed up the bridge where the van was and jumped in. We got our ranked officers involved, go all down to this location to find out what exactly we were really dealing with. We also had uh, sonar being used. We had um, holding equipment out. As the search team scours the river for Stephen's body, investigators receive word that preliminary testing on the substance found in Stephen's van is back. My evidence technician, after uh, initially getting into it, immediately contacted me and said, hey, there's, there's blood in the back seat. Not just a little bit of blood, but enough blood for uh, someone to be concerned that something happened in the van. Opal said Stephen had been suicidal in the past, had tried to cut his wrists. Had Stephen cut himself in the van before jumping off the bridge? After they had concluded their search and could not find a person that jumped in the river, and Stephen's not found. The officers did not find anything in the water, but they do report making an odd discovery along the shoreline. They had found a roll of carpet down in a homeless camp by the White River, where the van was towed away from. They found a rolled up piece of carpet with what they believed to be blood stain coming from within the rolled up piece of carpet. At first, I'm like, what could it be? It could be a person. Located about 15 yards from where Stephen's van was originally discovered, the carpet roll had not been visible during the initial search of the area. Earlier those weeks prior to Stephen being missing, we had some rainfall, and uh, we believe that that carpet had been covered by water at one time. And when the water receded, the carpet was there. We peeled some of the carpet back. The goal was to be confirmation that there was a human being inside of there. They could see what they thought was the top of a human head rolled up inside of the carpet. We then decide not to peel the rest of the carpet back here because in that carpet could lie a lot of evidence. So the whole piece of carpet, including uh, whoever or whatever is inside that carpet, is picked up and transported into a van to the coroner's office where they can take this carpet apart uh, very strategically. You don't know who or what is exactly rolled up inside of that carpet. And so that's why it's important to have the autopsy done. At the coroner's office, authorities carefully unroll the carpet. Inside is the body of a middle-aged Caucasian male that fits the general description of Stephen Williams. His body was still in uh, great physical shape. The water was cold, um, so there was not uh, much decay there at all. We got him positively identified. It was Stephen Williams. The autopsy reveals he had suffered a brutal death. His throat had been cut. 
there was also a, a stab wound to the chest that was observed at, at the autopsy and seemed to be part of the cause of death. The cause of manner of death was ruled a homicide um, due to um, stab wounds. The gruesome nature of Stephen's death, coupled with Opal's initial missing persons account, makes investigators wonder. Is it possible that after the fight with Opal, Stephen made good on her request that he put an end to his relationship with Linda, and that in turn, Linda had lashed out at Stephen in a jealous rage? At that time, Linda was still a person of interest. Detectives track down Linda, who is now back at home with her husband. Linda appears shocked that Stephen is dead and claims to have no knowledge of what happened. The conversation with Linda was very, very simple, very plain. She didn't have a lot of information to offer up to the, to the investigation. Authorities have no evidence linking Linda to the crime, but they can't take her off the persons of interest list. Seeking more information, detectives question several of Stephen's family members, including his daughter, Amanda. They start with a very difficult death notification. My thing is, I like, why, who, why would you do this? Like, well, who would done this to my dad? I sat in the middle of the room and cried in front of the police officers. He was my best friend. He was basically my second dad and it still hurts. Family members confirm that Stephen and Opal did try an open marriage, as Opal had mentioned. But they say it wasn't Stephen's idea, it was Opal's. She proposed an um, open relationship to him. They were going to see other people, but still be married and, you know, live together and all that. The family explains that Opal was the first to seek affection outside the marriage by hooking up with a fellow trucker, 56-year-old Ricky King, the man who, the day after Stephen's disappearance, allegedly accompanied Opal on her search for her husband. Her boyfriend was a trucker. I mean, I know she had, you know, she had a, quite a history with, with truck drivers. According to the family, Stephen was initially opposed to the idea of an open marriage. At first, no. No, he didn't want to. Because, like, you're my wife. I don't want to share you with some other guy. No. The family says that Linda moved in a few months later, that August. And that's when Stephen began an affair of his own. Stephen Williams was having a sexual relationship with Linda. She lived in the house. Opal was aware about that. And she felt that Stephen Williams was more attracted and physically attached to Linda than he was to his own wife. She was jealous of the second wife in the house. Things were falling apart in this house. I think everybody's looking for something that they don't have. And the feelings are getting upset. And it just all starts crumbling down. Based on this new information, Opal Williams and her alleged paramour, Ricky King, become even more important persons of interest. The fact that they left town together after Stephen vanished casts an even darker cloud of suspicion over them. Most family members that report someone missing usually stay at their home waiting for a phone call or for that person to show up. And in this case, the wife, Opal, had left the state. 
not only just left the house searching herself, but had left the state, not just one state away, but several states away. It was a red flag to me and, and other guys in the office, but you know, sometimes people do things that are strange that doesn't necessarily make them guilty. While investigators wait for Opal and Ricky to return, they pay a visit to Opal's two sons. Myself and another detective go to the school to make sure they're going to school, make sure that they're there, make sure that they're doing okay. What starts as a simple welfare check is about to yield new evidence that will change the investigation. Coming up, a young boy's statement paints a disturbing picture. He hears the adults say, we need to go take care of business. And as the picture of what happened to Stephen Williams becomes clear, authorities race to catch a killer. We give him an opportunity to flee. I knew then that the clock was ticking. Indianapolis authorities believe Opal and Stephen Williams's open marriage might have led to murder. You get a relationship, there's a husband and wife, and it's starting to fall apart, and then the sister wife comes in and it falls apart further. Awaiting Opal's return to town, detectives meet with her eldest son and ask about the night of March 10th, the night Stephen allegedly disappeared. Opal's son tells them he had a school play that evening. In our interview with the child, he states that they all went to Wendy's, excluding Stephen. The young boy's statement contradicts Opal's story about that night. He said that Stephen got in the van and he left off at the Wendy's. Opal's eldest son explains that following the meal, Charlie and Ricky brought Opal and her sons to a relative's house. Because of all the chaos that's happened, they decided to take the kids to grandma's house for them to spend the night there. Opal's son says that before the men left, he overheard an ominous exchange between Charlie, Ricky, and Opal. He says he hears the adults say, we need to go take care of business. That immediately sends up a red flag as to what did that child hear and what does that mean? After speaking with the son, Detective Bartlett calls Opal. He purposefully does not reveal that they've found Stephen's body. Opal tells me that her and Ricky are coming back into town, and they say that they're coming back about 10 PM. I wait, wait for a phone call. She doesn't call me. 10 PM comes, I don't get a phone call. 12 o'clock comes, I don't get a phone call. I send our road unit's deputies over to the house, and they're watching it for me to see when they show up. And they show up, I think, roughly about 2 AM. Whole goal was to try to get them in town without them understanding that a body had been recovered. And it worked. Deputies pick up Ricky and Opal and separate them and to transport them to Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department for an interview. I had to make a decision on who it is that I wanted to interview first and decided on Opal. She doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't know that we found Steven. I don't let her know that. I merely tell her that I really need to talk to her and go over some things. Detectives ask Opal about Steven's relationship with Linda. You would see her face expression change when she spoke about Linda because she did not like Linda at all. I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take the fact that she was earning that roof. 
it was just really, really, a really, really, really bad situation. Three days before her Christmas in 2014, I gave him an ultimatum. It's either her or the kids and I, and he chose her. Opal tells detectives she and her sons moved out about that time. She says that less than a month later, Stephen called and begged her to come home. He told me Linda had left and that she's gone out of the house. So I packed our stuff up in my car and drove back up here. Come to find out, she wasn't gone. Opal claims that even though Linda hadn't moved out, she decided to give her marriage one more shot. They had reconciled in that time period and decided not, not to get divorced. But Opal tells detectives that on March 10th, the night of her son's play, Stephen did something she felt was the final straw. They're all at the, the play. She's upset with Stephen Williams for not going to the play. Stephen decided not to go. He stayed behind in the home with Linda. Opal claims she demanded Stephen meet her at the fast food restaurant so she could give him a piece of her mind. An argument ensued, and Stephen drove off. She asked Ricky to take her over uh, to another relative's house, the grandmother of Charlie Layman. And she went over there and she complained about Stephen Williams not wanting to leave the house to go to the play and that he's having this affair with Linda and is more in love with Linda than what he is with Opal. Opal claims that at that point, Ricky and Charlie started making what she believed were empty threats. We're going to take care of business. We're going to take care of Stevens. He's not treating Opal right, and we're going to take care of this. Opal says before they left, she warned Ricky to keep his anger in check. At the time they went to go to leave, I told Rick, I said, Rick, don't do anything stupid. The men drove off. Opal says that a few hours later, she got a disturbing phone call. Opal explained to me that Charlie called back and said it was done. I'm like, what are you talking about? Exactly what are you talking about? Because I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on that night. Charlie explained that he stabbed Stephen Williams in the chest. Opal Williams has just admitted that she has been aware of her husband's death and has been lying to authorities since her first call to 911. But according to Opal, she had nothing to do with Stephen's murder, and Charlie and Ricky had acted on their own. I don't know what was going through Charlie's head. I don't know what was going through Rick's head. There was some minimizing that was taking place on Opal's behalf. She was trying to even manipulate me. Whether she realizes it or not, Opal's statement incriminates her in the crime. Opal had now given me information of how she was involved in the murder of her husband. Detectives keep Opal in custody and turn their attention to Ricky King. I interviewed Ricky King, and Ricky King's statement was fairly in line with Opal Williams. While detectives believe they are finally getting to the bottom of what happened to Stephen Williams, they aren't convinced they have the full story. And there's still one more suspect to chase down. I stepped outside the room, and I instructed law enforcement officers to get involved in the search for Charlie Lehman. 
I knew then that the clock was ticking, that I could not take another day to get Charlie in because it would give him an opportunity to flee once he learned that someone had been taken into custody. Coming up, detectives get a glimpse into the final harrowing moments of Stephen Williams' life. He's dying, but he's on the phone with his wife. the Indianapolis Police Department, Opal Williams has just told detectives that her cousin, Charlie Lehman, killed her husband, Stephen Williams. And Opal's lover, Ricky King, has admitted to being involved in the murder. Investigators have already determined that Linda, who'd once had an affair with Stephen, was not involved in the murder in any way which leaves 20-year-old Charlie Lehman as the only suspect who's unaccounted for. Detectives quickly track down Charlie and bring him in for questioning. Charlie tells investigators Opal begged him and Ricky to help her get rid of Stephen. Opal had convinced them that Stephen Williams had battered her, that she was a domestic violence victim. According to Charlie, Opal said she would make it worthwhile for him and Ricky. She told them that Stephen Williams had a $100,000 life insurance policy, and she would share it if they carried out taking care of Stephen Williams. Charlie admits that he agreed to do it for two reasons. He was upset because he believed that Opal had been battered and the possible financial gain of the insurance policy. According to Charlie, Ricky King also agreed to Opal's offer. He was in love with Opal. And when you're in love, let's be honest, you'll do anything for love. you do anything, stupid or not. Charlie explains that the three of them came up with a plan to lure Stephen to his death on March 10th, 2015. They called um, Stephen Williams the victim and made it seem as if Opal had been hurt, and they needed to come and pick him up. Charlie says that when he and Ricky arrived, Stephen grew suspicious of their story and did not want to go. Stephen wasn't buying. And at that point in time, there was no turning back. He was forced into the van. Charlie tells detectives Ricky drove Stephen's van while Charlie brutalized Stephen. Charles beat him up in the back of the van. Um, and that's where the blood came from, is during the uh, altercation in the backseat of the van. Charlie explains that Ricky parked the van under the bridge near the White River. When they pulled Stephen out, Charlie stabbed him in the chest. When Stephen didn't die right away, the men reached out to Opal. They called Opal and told him what they were preparing to do. Um, Stephen knew at that point in time that they were getting ready to take his life. He was consciously aware that this was getting ready to happen. He was actually pleading, pleading for his life over the phone with Opal Williams. You got a guy being stabbed down by the river. He's dying, but he's on the phone with his wife talking to her. Opal had one last chance to call things off. She did the opposite. 
you had Opal saying that, Charlie, you need to do it. You need to go ahead and take care of business. Charles takes that as an order to kill Stephen and uh, goes and slashes Stephen's throat, killing him. According to Charlie, the two men tried to cover their tracks using a roll of carpet they found near the river. Ricky King and Charlie uh, together rolled Stephen Williams up into the carpet. And they threw the carpet into the river. Then they went home, they got their story together, and that's when Opal decided to call and report her husband missing. Charlie's confession makes one thing clear. Opal Williams wasn't just aware of Stephen's murder, she was the mastermind behind it. Opal's the ringleader. She orchestrated everything. Never in my wildest dream would I, did I think that they would have killed him. It was a little unusual. I never had a case quite like this where someone in a family's ordering up a, a murder like this. Authorities formally charge Charlie Lehman, Ricky King, and Opal Williams in connection with the murder. Investigators never found any evidence of Stephen being abusive and believe that Opal made it up to get Charlie and Ricky to kill. While in custody, Opal maintains her innocence. I did not have anything to do with it. I didn't have any say in it. However, as her trial approaches, Opal feels the weight of the evidence against her. I pled out, yeah, because I was scared. I was scared. Opal Williams pleads guilty to murder, and in February 2016, a judge sentences her to 50 years in the Indiana Department of Correction prison system. Charlie Lehman also pleads guilty to murder and receives 55 years in prison. Ricky King pleads out as well and earns a 45-year sentence. For those caught in the wake of Opal's crime, why she did what she did is still difficult to comprehend. Why would you do that to my dad? Because I thought you loved him. I thought you cared about the family. She was angry. She was in actual rage over Linda. She was jealous over Linda. Um, she was in love with Ricky, and I think she wanted to start a, another relationship. She wanted Stephen out of the picture. It's, it's such a shock that, that all that happened. He was a good dad. He was a good father to his kids. And he was a good brother. And I miss him. For more information on Snapped, go to Oxygen.com. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed 
guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.